Cosmic Peach Podcast, I would never disappoint you. I have probably one of my top five favorite episodes coming up for you right now. We have on Dr. Tracy McIntyre. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Dr. McIntyre. Well, he is a board-certified oral and maxillofacial surgeon who practices right here in Oklahoma City. Dr. McIntyre attended college at Southern Nazarene University and graduated with a degree in biochemistry. He attended dental school at the University of Oklahoma and completed his medical training and residency in oral and maxillofacial surgery at Indiana University School of Medicine, where he served as chief resident. Now, He is board certified and a diplomat of the American Board of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery, a fellow in the American Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgeons, and a fellow in the American College of Surgeons and American Academy of Cosmetic Surgeons. He has received numerous awards in the field of oral and maxillofacial surgery and has been voted by his colleagues as one of the top surgeons in the state for the last 10 plus years. Now, I know what you're thinking. This dude is a pompous ass. He's one of those doctor types that thinks he knows everything wrong. No, this guy is so genuine. He is so down to earth, such a sweetheart. And through a strange series of events, Dr. McIntyre and I have become pretty close friends. And I asked him if he would be interested in coming on the podcast, telling me some doctor stuff, you know, shoot the shit. And 
he obliged. And I was so surprised and happy. (laughs) So this has been one of my favorite episodes because we get to look through the eyes of an actual medical professional at some of the conspiracy theories and things that have been said and going on. And we get into spirituality and all kinds of stuff. He's actually a really hilarious guy. And the conversation is all over the map, but it's so interesting. And I feel like you're really going to love this one. I've included Tracy's website in the show notes. If you have your own podcast and you want to reach out to Tracy, maybe you have some questions for him or want him to come on your podcast. He's such just a blast to talk to. So of course, let me know what you think of this episode. Leave a comment or something on Instagram and uh, let me know what you think. So let's roll right into the episode. And without further ado, I give you Dr. Tracy McIntyre. All right, everyone, you are listening to the Cosmic Peach podcast. And tonight we have a very special guest. It is Dr. Tracy McIntyre, and he is a board-certified oral and maxillofacial surgeon, probably butchered that, but practices in Oklahoma City, and we have become friends in the craziest way possible, and Tracy has agreed to talk to us tonight. Tracy, how are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I am super, super excited. And if you will, good doctor, can you tell the listeners a little bit about what you do and you're not a dentist? Let's get that part out of the way first off. Yeah, no, that's great. We've we've got a confusing specialty. So oral and maxillofacial surgery um, is a little unique because we have dental training and medical training. Um, But essentially we do surgery um, on the face, the mouth, and the jaws. And so very traditionally, most people kind of know, you know, the their their experience with an oral maxillofacial surgeon might be um, getting their wisdom teeth out or maybe somebody getting a dental implant. Um, but other things, that's kind of one small portion of it. Um, we do, I can do facial cosmetic surgery. Uh, we do facial reconstruction surgeries, uh, a lot of facial trauma surgery. Uh, I'm on the medical staff for the Oklahoma City Thunder so we take care of any of their facial injuries or traumas with them. And so uh, it's a pretty diverse, pretty wide um, spectrum of things that we do. And we kind of, like I said, we kind of teeter between the medical and the dental world. Uh, but most people's, hopefully most people's interaction is more geared towards just getting their wisdom teeth out, not, you know, facial reconstruction stuff. Yeah. But, so, I mean, like if someone was in like a massive car accident. And their right. face was all twisted up. Would they come and see Dr. McIntyre? Yeah. So, yeah. So we take, so we, we're on call at every hospital in the United States. It's a level one trauma center. It has to have an oral maxillofacial surgeon uh, call. And we do all the facial trauma surgery. And so if someone puts their face through a windshield uh, or gets, you know, beat up or, you know, gunshot wounds to the face or self-inflicted gunshot wounds, um, you're most likely going to see an oral maxillofacial surgeon in the uh, in the emergency room and and then you know those are the those are kind of the weird wild cases that you know we take care of outside the normal scope of just the the basics 
Mm-hmm. So have you had one of those crazy ones? Where oh, yeah, we are. Just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's never like, it never ceases to amaze me the crazy things that, that people do to themselves. Um, and it, it's sad. I mean, some of these things are sad. I mean, a self-inflicted gunshot wound um, usually doesn't, you know, kill somebody, but it, it disfigures them. And, and those people are just, they're already mentally struggling and they just, you know, make it worse. Now they have this huge facial deformity. Um, but, you know, we see weird things. Like I had a lady not too long ago. She was, you know, in Western Oklahoma and her husband was driving a Camaro and she was in the back seat and her son was in the front seat and they're driving back home on one of these country back roads and the a cow had gotten loose and was on the road and they run into this cow. The son actually had the front seat tilted back a little bit. And so this cow just, you know, just hits this lady right in the face as it goes through the windshield and just, you know, just a terribly disfiguring um, injury. But, you know, we took her to surgery, we got her fixed up. And uh, the crazy thing, actually, the, the thing that was most odd about it was that a bunch of these cows had gotten out and this is so totally off the subject of taking care of the patient, but these cows had gotten out when the sheriff uh, showed up, these cows were all out. Instead of like herding these cows back into the field, he actually shot three of the cows, which that actually became a bigger issue uh, legally than the fact that the cow had gotten out and caused us injury to this, uh, to this poor patient, this oh poor lady. So, yeah, the guy just, he just showed up, like cows are out. He's, he can't believe this is happening. He's, He's terrified and frustrated. These cows are out, so he shoots the cows. Um, and like I said, that that was the bigger legal issue than the fact that a cow caused you know lady to have her face injured. So yeah, there's oh, all kinds of weird stuff. Would that is that like top five for you? Oh my gosh! I mean, people have done the. I mean, people get injured in the weirdest ways during this. I mean, just doing normal activities. I, I had a guy that he worked uh, at a one of those places where they change out your tires, but they were doing semi-tires or semi-truck tires. So big, massive tires. And the he was putting the tire back on the rim and it exploded and just, I mean, took off half the guy's face. And then, you know, these people make it to the hospital. And uh, a lot of times these patients have like, you know, head injuries and they don't survive their, their accident. But other times they survive it and then it just becomes this, you know, years long process of getting them, you know, reconstructed so they can function in society. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's terrible because these are just like everything. I had a guy last, um, last month, um, he was changing his pool filters, you know, so the pool filters where you, uh, you know, you take off the, the top of that tube and it's got that big metal collar and you take the filters out and you always spray them off. Well, he tried to pop it too soon before the pressure had been released at the top and the release valve. And that thing just exploded right into his face. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's constant. It's amazing that more of us don't have facial injuries based on stuff. And the other thing that's been great for my business has, has been Lime scooters. I mean, Lime scooters. Oh my God, Tracy. <laughs> people, no, I'm serious. People wreck those things at an alarming rate. Like, and I'm, I'm shocked that there's, that's, they're still allowed to be honest with you. Um, because a lot of times patients, you know, people will, they get on them and, you know, maybe they're downtown Oklahoma City or we're downtown wherever they're at and they've had a few beverages or just out having fun and they get to go pretty fast on them and they just, you know, the roads and at least here in, in Oklahoma City are, are not that great downtown. You hit a little spot, you hit a, you know, a little track here, there. And the next thing you know, your, your face is going into the, the pavement and, um, you know, your next shop is, or your next 
spot you see is, you know, me above you in the emergency room trying to figure out how to get you fixed up. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's no shortage of, as long as we have alcohol in our society, there's no shortage of things that people can do. I mean, right now, if we could find, I mean, I can't tell you how many drunk people I've had to see in the emergency room who have broken jaws or broken orbit uh, sockets or cheekbones. And it was just, they were just sitting at the bar doing nothing, minding their own business. And just some dude walked up and just hit them for no reason. If we could find some dude, we would, we would remove 90% of the facial traumas caused by interpersonal violence in, in the country. This some dude guy apparently loves to punch people in the face for no reason. So, but I mean, you're one of the few people on the planet who get to say like, I change people's lives with what I do for a living. Like I make it to where people don't scream and run when they walk down the street. Like I fix people's faces. 90% of what someone else thinks of another person is how do they look? And if yeah. you look scary, obviously that's a problem. No, no, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's definitely, it's great. We, we definitely, you know, through jaw surgeries, either be elective jaw surgeries because of, you know, congenital uh, malformations or skeletal malformations that they, you know, people were just uh, born with or from trauma. I mean, it's, that's the great part about doing, you know, the, the facial trauma and the facial reconstruction portion um, of things. And, you know, and sometimes though, I, I had a patient, I did surgery on today. I had to remove uh, most of his lower jaw due to a pretty rare aggressive tumor. Um, you know, we're going to get him back to be able to function in society and, and look good and be able to chew and function eating food. Uh, but it's going to be a long process and a road. In a lot of ways, COVID has made my patients' lives easier because now they can go out. A lot of them who have disfiguring surgeries because of either tumors or cancer that normally wouldn't have went out to public. Now they, they feel more comfortable being able to wear a mask out in public because it's no longer the, they're no longer the, the odd person out wearing a mask. We're all used to seeing patients where people wear masks now. Um, and so they can go out and, and, and have a little bit more freedom because of that. But yeah, taking patients that had congenital anomalies where they, they have, you know, no significant lower jaw and you're able to reconstruct the jaw and bring it forward. So they have a normal appearing facial profile and ability to chew and function. Yeah, it's super gratifying um type stuff you know the frustrating things are still a lot of the things that we see that we have to do surgery on are things from people smoking or smokeless tobacco things that could have been avoided but you know those are difficult you know habits to break and you know people kind of get started down those roads and and they're just they're tough habits to break and those are those are very real struggles for patients i mean no one's no one's doing it and saying, well, I'm just doing it. I know it'd be easy to stop. I just, you know, people have a hard time doing that. And, um, and sometimes, you know, unfortunately that, you know, that catches up with some folks and, you know, but the, the big thing is for the most part, being able to step in, get people kind of steer in the right direction, get things fixed when they, especially on younger kids, when parents think, Hey, my, this is my baby. I, they're never going to be able to have a normal life and be able to get them where they can, look and function good. I mean, it is. Yeah. Super gratifying. So I know you mentioned like basically vaping has caused a a couple of people to come and visit you and you know, I vape whether I'm proud of it or not, but maybe you could scare me to death and I'll stop doing it. So like what what is the vaping thing? Like it explodes, right? 
Well, I mean, you know, there's, there's been some cases where I was reported. I think the big thing, like, with smoking or vaping or smokeless tobacco, um, look, I certainly know, like, the challenges of stopping, you know, difficult, you know, behavioral patterns. I mean, like, I, I totally get that for patients. So I think sometimes we, and I used to try to scare people, you know, into, like, stopping those things. They'd come in. I think the more important thing to do is tell patients, like, look, if you're going to do those things, okay, and I'm certainly not, you know, anybody's, you know, doctor here in the scenario, but just, just say, look, if I'm going to do these things and I'm not, it's not the right time for me to stop, I'm not ready to stop. The one thing I encourage patients to do, all people to do is, hey, at least once a month or so, take your iPhone flashlight or take a pin light and just look in your mouth, look at, look under your tongue, look at your throat, look in your cheeks. And if you see something white or a bump or an ulcer that you don't remember seeing before, if it's the first time, just let your, your dentist or your physician um, or your an oral maxillary, so just, you know, let them know so they can take a look at. Because a lot of times with head and neck cancers, if, if something does pop up, if you catch it early enough, very, very easy, very, very easy to treat, much more amenable to being um, cured. The problem is most of us don't look in our mouth very often. And, you know, a little bitty white spot that becomes an ulcer just becomes, you just get, you just don't really notice it because it's just, it's there every day. You don't, it's so small and so gradual. And the, by the time you do notice it, or the, by the time you go into your dentist and he notices it or your physician, now you have this huge, you know, cancer in your mouth that's been there for, you know, years. The guy did surgery on today had had this tumor for eight years and he kept watching it get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so finally um, his girlfriend um, made him go in and get this thing taken care of. But what would have been take, what would have been a very easy in office cleanup procedure today resulted in him losing most of his lower jaw and you know, taking part of his hip bone to reconstruct his, his face. And so, like I said, I would say better than trying to scare people because they like said that that doesn't usually, I mean, I have kids. I mean, I've tried to put the fear of God in them. Like if they don't listen to me and that doesn't seem to work with them. Um, <laughs> and I know, I know my personality too. Like, you must be like, yeah, I'm not gonna do it. I mean, I, I think there's a time and I, and I totally get people struggle with this. So in no way am I like, I get it. I a hundred percent get it. It's a very real thing. Um, but if you're not, if you're not quite there yet with with stopping, which obviously I'm an oral maxillofacial surgeon, would I would I love to see people not do those things? We yeah, of course. I mean that's just I mean I would be I would be remiss if I didn't say that. But if you're not there yet, and that's probably fine, at least just hey, you know what? On the first of every month, um, just take your your iPhone, turn on the flashlight, look in your mouth, look around, and if you see something, make note of it and then let your dentist know most of the time it's probably not going to be anything, but let, let somebody else decide that besides you. And that way, if it is something, we can get it treated easily. Ooh, that's really good advice. Just like, Hey, if you're going to do it, we're all adults here. At least just check around in your mouth, which made me think of something when you said that there were these videos that kept popping up. Cause I, I, am like subscribed to the Dr. Pimple Popper or whatever on YouTube. And these videos kept popping up for me to watch about these tonsil stones and like people reaching back into their throat and like extracting themselves, like these humongous white, they looked literally like stones or something. Oh yeah. And I'm wondering how the fuck do you get them? 
what the <laughs> fuck are they? Like Tracy, do you know anything about these things? Yeah, yeah. So like so our you know, of course our tonsils are just lymphatic tissue, okay? And but when they get enlarged, you get these little crypts in them. And then just normally throughout, you know, the day, you know, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, we slough off epithelium inside of our mouth. And so what happens is then we get other food debris. Those get into those little crypts and they start, you see, you have dead skin cells with whatever foreign debris, you know, food or whatever junk getting in there. And then they become this little mass and then they get stuck in there. Well, that that causes bad breath because that those dead skin cells stink um, along with the food debris. Um, and so, you know, people, the, the, the problem with reaching back there and being too aggressive is most of us, if we're doing that stuff, we're, we're using whatever we can find in our bathroom drawer at home, and which probably isn't sterilized or clean. And you get back there and you, you know, you nick it a little bit and you create a little infection. And now you've got, you know, a little sore throat. Best case scenario, worst case scenario, you get a, you know, a tonsillar abscess and you end up in the emergency room. Um, and I've had patients before, they get, they, they start getting some swelling in their tonsillar region. They go to the hospital, um, you have to drain their neck and put drains back there. And it started because they were, you know, somebody was using, you know, a pair of tweezers that they also used to pull a hangnail from their toe from, you know, the day before. They're back there trying to jab stuff around. They get a little infection in there. The next thing you know, they have, a, you know, peritonsillar abscess. And they're, you know, going to immerse or they're going to the operating room so I can put the drain in there. So um, those are generally oh best. God. Go to your doctor. And if, they, if they're too big, obviously, you know, sometimes it's best to get your tonsils out. Um, although I will tell you, I had my tonsils out at age 25. So I was a student at the time. And a buddy of mine was a ENT resident. Um, this was when I was at OU. And I was getting all kinds of sore throats. My tonsils were huge. I was getting those little, you know, tonsillar lifts back there and uh, so i go into him he's like hey dude let's just take out your tonsils super easy you know take off on a thursday you'll be back to school on monday because i was in school at the time and i'm like dude this is easy well he is a big fat liar because it was not easy it was like (laughs) i was 25 getting my tonsils out and it was two weeks of of not a lot of fun i certainly wasn't back at school um you know four days later and so I probably just discouraged every person here from ever getting their tonsils after over the age of five. But, <laughs> but you know, it's those are fun. Things. But hey, it's, it, I will tell you the gratification because I've seen those videos before too, uh, and I've taken out. I mean, people will come in for something, and um, usually not tonsil related because that's usually more of an ENT type thing. Um, but you know, I'll see them back there, and yeah, I've snuck a few out. I'll put people to sleep, taking out their wisdom teeth, and I'll see them like, yeah, that's got to go. I can't leave that as is. That's that's got to go there. It's kind of like if someone's got a hair on their face, like this this abnormally long hair that's just kind of out there. <laughs> I mean, I would never admit on a podcast that I've ever like blinked, plucked one of those things off when person's asleep because I wouldn't have consent to do that. But I will <laughs> say there may have been an occasion or two where that's been very tempting um, when, you know, someone's got a little hole. There's like one little hair just kind of sticking out there about, you know, two and a half yeah. inches it's got to go like how does that stay and so sometimes the tape gets caught on there when we're taping patients and it happens to take them out just inadvertent of course but so right now right now my my, my malpractice insurance carries like just thinking oh dear lord what is this guy doing to us here so yeah that's right this is all 
non-medical information. So yes, no, you're not telling anybody to do anything medically. We're just shooting no. the shit. That's right? it, shooting the shit. Two friends shooting the shit. That's it. And I do find it super interesting that you're so personable because a lot of the doctors I've had in the past were very like black and white. This is what it is. They're in, they're out of the room. Like I'm kind of just like a paycheck to them. They're like, Oh God, here she is script. Hand me the script, get out of my office. And when I met you, I was like, Oh God, he's a doctor. Like he's going to be a pompous ass. And then I met you and I was like, Oh, well, he's a a pompous ass. No, no. What, what I always tell patients like, so it's weird because a lot of people, because they, they are seeing us for, you know, they're seeing me for a more traditional thing of getting their wisdom teeth out or maybe a dental implant or something. I mean, dentistry is very weird because we're the only profession and, you know, my specialty falls under dentistry as far as especially because, you know, we have medical training. Um, it's dentistry is the only profession where people will meet you for the first time. And the first words that come out of their mouth is, hey, I just want you to know. I hate the dentist. Like what other profession? I mean, you don't go to a restaurant and like when the, the waiter comes up to you, say, Hey, just, I just want you to know, I hate waiters, but I go into patients rooms for a consult. I've never met these people. They never met me. I walk in the door and I'm like, Hey, I'm Dr. McIntyre. And I will hear, Hey, I just want you to know, I hate the dentist. I'm like, we just met. Like you haven't had time to hate me. Like I have an ex-wife that it took like 22 years before she hated me. Like, and you're doing it like you just met me. So we kind of start off. I think we have to be nice as we start off behind, behind the eight ball of people kind of just they're fearful of us. But I also tell patients like it's a great time to be a patient in 2022 because I'm 47 years old. And when I was growing up, you know, cell phones didn't exist. Uh, the Internet didn't exist. Certainly social media wasn't around. So if I went to a dentist or a physician and they were a jerk to me and I didn't like them, like, who was I going to tell? Like, there was no one to tell. I could go to school and tell a couple of my buddies, but man, they wouldn't really care. And, and my parents were pretty hardcore. They certainly wouldn't have cared. But now any 13-year-old teenager with an iPhone and a social media account, if I'm not nice to them, they can blast me all over social media that I'm a jerk and that I'm so mean. They can go on Google and tell people what a terrible doctor I am. So purely because I'm selfish and I am truly a selfish human. I want you to have a fantastic experience with me because I want you to put a good review because I have incredibly thin skin. I am such a people pleaser, needy human being. I mean, call it some traumatic childhood, like trauma that I just have never got over, but I want patients to like me. So most doctors nowadays, hopefully most doctors realize like, look, there's power in social media and online reviews. And I want to have good online reviews and I want patients to have a good experience because it is weird because as a specialist, you know, patients come in and they trust me from the get go because they realize a specialist. I mean, and we kind of say like in America, we're not a very trusting society, but we're a pretty trusting society. I mean, I get on airplanes all the time with pilots that I assume that they're just as interested in landing the plane safely as I am interested in them doing that. I get into Ubers and taxis and I'm just assuming these are decent people who want to take me from point A to point B safely. So patients come into me and, you know, they let me put them to sleep and do jaw surgeries on them. And, and they don't know me. It's like we're buddies and we grew up together. So they're putting a lot of trust. So I try to make it as, you know, pleasant an experience as, you know, seeing a normal maxillofacial surgeon can be.
So mm-hmm. that's a very long answer for thank you for telling no, me. No, I, I love that answer. And it actually, every time you start talking about something, it leads me to like another segue. So we're talking about trust right now. And that's okay. a big issue with people after COVID, everything. And obviously people are very distrusting of a lot of medical stuff right now, just since 2020. And I mean, of course, I believe there are decent human beings out there like yourself and most people who want to do medicine somewhere as maybe like a child, they were like, I want to heal people or I want to fix people. And that's what kind of, so I would love to believe that and give them the benefit of the doubt, but it, at some point we're all human beings. And so I have to ask you, have you ever gotten in the operating room and you're like, Oh fuck. Like, what do I do? This is scary. I'm scared. Like this is maybe I bit off more than I can chew pun intended. <laughs> yeah. No, no, um, no that's, a, that's a great question. Um, well, it's different because I'm, since I'm a specialist. And so for me, there, there is no one else. Like I don't have like, you know, if you're, if you're a family physician or maybe you're a general surgeon and you kind of get in some place and you're like, ah, this is the thing I was expecting. I didn't see this. We need to get into a higher level of specialty. Well, I'm kind of the tip of the spear as far as the higher, I'm there. So um, part of being a good surgeon is knowing what you can and can't handle and for, you know, kind of forecasting any potential complications and things that go wrong, but then also keeping your calm, you know, to take, take care of those things. I mean, sometimes we get into, you know, patients who have, you know, bleeding issues and things like that. And the bleeding has to stop. Like there's, there's no other, there isn't another option. Um, you have to get bleeding stop. And so, you know, m- most people who are board certified and they're specialty as surgeons, um, you're very well trained on how to get things taken care of. But I said, I think the bigger issue is, um, and this is why I think it's good. I get a lot of referrals from other oral maxillofacial surgeons for, for bigger jaw surgeries and, and bigger uh, tumors and things like that. Um, and I never think less of them like, oh, they couldn't handle this. I think, oh, they made a great, they made a great clinical decision. That's not something they do on a routine basis or feel comfortable doing, or maybe they're, um, I have a great referral who's an incredible surgeon. He just happens to be in a, a small town in Oklahoma where his hospital doesn't have the resources to do some of these big cases. And so it wouldn't be fair to the patient to go to that hospital because if, if certain things go wrong, it's not that he doesn't know how to do them or take care of them. It's just that hospital may not have the resources to be able to provide that to him. And so, you know, him referring me patients just tells me, Hey, he cares more about the patient's actual needs than this does his ego type stuff. But yeah, I mean, you do get, I mean, you get into surgery sometimes and there are times you're like, man, this is, this isn't behaving like I thought it would, or the tissue was a little bit more friable than I thought it was going to heal. But at the end of the day, it's, that that patient is relying on you to get it fixed and you got to get it fixed. And so that's mm-hmm. what we try to do. So. Yeah. And I did want to ask you, I kind of want to turn the floor over to you. Um, you were about to tell me a story actually right before yeah. we got started. And I said, no, 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 wait, let's save it for the podcast. So can you actually just go ahead and tell me what that story was? Yeah, you yeah, know, it's, it's great. We were, we were talking kind of about COVID stuff and, you know, with, um, and, you know, I have patients, you know, even still now, I mean, but certainly during the kind of the, the, you know, the, the peak of all the COVID stuff, patients would come in and a lot of times patients want to ask me my opinions about stuff, whether it be COVID vaccines or masks and things like that. Um, generally my, you know, I tell patients, look, I'm, I'm just kind of here to take care of folks. And, 
Um, and I'm, you know, we just, that's not really the time for me to be discussing politics and different things like that. But, but what I've learned is, and I'm certainly this way too. So I'm in a way, um, sometimes when I'm asking someone their opinion about something, I'm really just waiting for you to say something and then be quiet so I can tell you my opinion. But sometimes that's what I have with patients. So I have patients come in and it didn't matter. I mean, I have very educated patients as far as formally, but I have also patients who maybe they formally aren't as educated, but they're still very smart and intelligent people. And everyone's allowed to their own opinions about things. Um, but it doesn't mean just because you have a thought or opinion, that doesn't mean you, you can't be wrong. And I, I think I shared with you um, before we get on, like, you know, in 1994, I was walking with a girl in college. We were in the business department of the college I was at. And I'd asked her, I said, hey, I go, do you want to get something to drink? And she said, no, no, no. I want to go to the computer lab and I want to get on the internet and look around. And I was like, the internet? The internet's never going to last. People aren't going to want to get on the internet and sit around a computer and look at a computer all day. Well, clearly I was wrong. I mean, like, I mean, um, when COVID first started, um, and we first started hearing about it, I remember telling some of my surgical partners, I was like, eh, give us a couple of weeks. We want to hear another thing about it. Clearly I was wrong. I mean, so, um, I always kind of keep that in mind that when I have an opinion about something, I'm basing that opinion based on the information I have and that I've put together. Does it, doesn't mean I'm, you know, I'm not, it doesn't mean I have the gospel truth. I'm just telling you my opinion. So, but I do remember, like, so I trained with Jerome Adams, who was the Surgeon General of the United States under the Trump administration. So, um, so we, you know, we trained and he's an anesthesiologist by training and he was in the public health sector. So we were on, and we trained at the same time at Indiana University um, School of Medicine. And so we were on service together because part of oral maxillofacial surgery training is doing anesthesiology because we put people to sleep. And so he's a great guy, very, very knowledgeable, good man. And, um, I remember hearing him on an interview one time. He was, he had started out by saying, you know, like, Hey, masks aren't necessary for people. Um, there's no reason for people to be going out and buy a mask. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, you see him and he's like, everyone needs to be wearing a mask. And, you know, people have their opinions that Dr. Fauci was kind of the same way instead. Um, but I remember just in communication with him, just, I was like, Hey, what happened there? And he's like, we were wrong. So we, we got more information and so we changed. And so, um, I think one of the things that people think, and this is both scary as can be, but also very, very humbling and very exciting is that, you know, your doctor, your leaders, the people in government, I think sometimes there's this tendency when you're younger to think, oh man, these people have it all figured out. Like they've got everything, their crap figured out. Like I just listen to them. Well, any of us that, you know, over the age of about 20, you start figuring out that ain't so true. Like um, every human being from, you know, birth to the grave, uh, we're, it's a, we're all a work in progress. And so uh, I think that was the thing I loved about COVID so much. We talked about before we get on the podcast was that I love that it, for a lot of people who never challenged anybody else's belief about anything, people started developing opinions and, and challenging things. And it's funny because like in America, the thing that drives us as Americans so crazy toward each other is our, is our diversity and that we, and that we all have such varying and different opinions and we do things different. That thing that drives us so crazy about each other is the absolute best thing about America. Um, unfortunately, it's hard to see that when you're, when people are angry and mad at each other, but that's what makes us so great as a country. Um, and the whole process of, you know, democracy is just so messy and it's ugly sometimes, but it's still the best thing that exists on planet earth. It's people being able to be pissed at each other and be like, you're a fool, you're a jackass, you're an idiot, but 
I'll go to war and I'll, I'll protect this country for you. So I remember, so in 19, during the Oklahoma City bombing in 1905, um, I was in college, but I was working as an EMT. So during the bombing, um, I went, I worked the Oklahoma City bombing. I got put on what's called a DMORD, a disaster mortuary operational response team. And so, you know, I was down there during, um, the bombing and there were people all, of course, all over the country that had come to, you know, assist in you know, the rescue efforts and, and things like that. And, um, it was funny because I just remember talking to this guy. He was a firefighter from New York city. Um, he was from Egypt originally. He was Muslim. Um, he was, you know, married, had kids at the time. Of course, I'm a, I was, you know, single. I'm in college, you know, going through school and just working as an EMT. We, I mean, we couldn't have been any different from each other on the outside, but, but when the, when the shit hit the fan, like all these people that were so much different than Oklahoma, like, I mean, it's like, it's Oklahoma. Like, I mean, it's, I remember, I remember hearing multiple rescue guys from other states saying like, dude, it was like someone punched your little brother. It's like Oklahoma, like there's good men and women. It's like, and all of a sudden it's like someone picked on Oklahoma. And so I remember like all these people, like when, when things get really tough, like we do a great job as Americans of really like helping each other. It's kind of, you can talk bad about, I can talk bad about my brother. And, but you can't talk about my brother. So when I kind of feel that story, so like, I know, like, it seems like we're so divisive, you know, even, even now we've got people who are, you know, love Donald Trump. You have people who love Joe Biden. You have people who hate both. You have people who love both, whatever, probably nobody love them both. But, um, but I'm like, that's actually what makes us so great. And that's what seems so crazy and drives us crazy is that that just friction is what actually makes us so good. So I love it when people who never had an opinion about anything, they come in, they want to talk about COVID and they want to give me their opinion. I love it. I mean, I just, even if sometimes some, I mean, and people say some crazy stuff sometimes. I mean, I mean, people have like conspiracy theories and things like that, but that's the tough thing with conspiracy theories. Like, like which side of history you're on? Like, cause what, what once was a conspiracy theory then becomes history. Like it is actually true. Like that's what we don't know. Um, but with 24, you know, our media outlets where it's just, they're pumping out information and news all the time. Uh, I think it's more important now for discernment, just actually being able to filter out the information. But I mean, these agencies, these news agencies, they're good at making stuff look and seem real. And they sprinkle in just enough truth. That's like, Oh, this must be true. Cause this is actually true. Yeah. It's, that part's true, but th- the rest of the story is bullshit. And so, um, but it's like I said, I think I just love you so much. <laughs> I, you're like, you're Lord. This is only like a 30 minute podcast. You're gonna be talking forever. So it actually, there's no time limit. I mean, I, I'll oh, go perfect. six hours if you I won't do that to you, but I, I love everything you just said. Like I couldn't agree with you anymore. I, I think the problem with some Americans in general is that we are so opinionated and we take it so for granted that we're allowed to have this opinion and like fight with each other about it. Then you look at like China and they have like, you better not say anything or you better not. So it's like, it's okay that we don't agree, but how awesome is it that I can fight you about it? (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? No, no, I I totally agree. Like in the, the tough thing is too, is like, you're, you're exactly right. Like it's because it is a freedom. Like, you know, you can say we live in a country in a time where you can say anything and it can be outlandish, 
Um, you can get, and a lot of times people are just trying to stir up emotions and people are really good at doing that. Um, and it's, it is, I mean, I mean, you know, the, the tongue is a, you know, two edged sword. I mean, like it's, I mean, it's so true. Like I mean, what the, the, our words do have, do matter though. They, I mean, they mean things and, um, all of us, and especially me, I mean, if I could slow down my brain, I mean, I'm just, my little ADD gets going in my mouth. I mean, your listeners right now are probably all thinking, do I have this thing on 1.5, two times, you know, <laughs> I talk to, they're going to like cut it down to like half speed just so they can keep up with actually saying, um, and I have patience no, all the time. You're doing so no, good, Tracy. I have patience give me shit about that all the time. I have little ladies, they'll be like, now, Dr. McIntyre, you're going to have to slow down or I'm going to leave because I can't understand. I'm like, okay, I'm going to slow down my words. And that's like, I'm just taking forever to talk, but yeah, no, our words mean something like, and we, we'd all be, you know, better off. if We just kind of thought about the power of our words. Um, but all we need to do is flip it. Like it's, it's so crazy. It's like we turn on TV and we, what's, what's the negative news story today? What's the bad thing? But the reality is way more good things happen in the world um, than bad things. I mean, I saw a great news story and this has been, you know, a year or two ago um, about in the middle East or no, actually it was in Africa. It was in Africa someplace. And I can't remember where, but um, when in these, there was these two tribes that were close to each other. And then when one of the tribes, uh, which was predominantly Christian would go to church, this third group of individuals would come in and ransack um, their homes and stuff like that. Well, then when this other tribe, which was predominantly Muslim, they would go um, to worship this third party group would come in and ransack theirs. So what the Christians and Muslim groups started doing was when each of them were at um, their worship services, they would protect each other's homes to keep this third party group from coming in. And I'm like, why doesn't, why don't we hear more about that stuff? Like groups of people that, have different religious beliefs and it's okay. Like it's okay that we don't have to water down our faith or our belief systems or our thoughts about anything. If someone's an atheist and they don't believe anything, somebody who believes in God's true, just say it. I don't believe it's true. There doesn't have to be a watered down answer that makes everyone feel good. Just say, I don't believe what you're saying is true. The Christian can say, I do believe what I'm saying is true. What you're saying is wrong. And those two people can still be kind and respectful and cordial to each other and they can both choose to worship or not worship and whatever they want to. So I think the words we say, we, we'd be better off if we focused on the positive aspects about human nature. Because the reality of it is, several weeks ago, you know, I told an eight-year-old little girl, she had a type of cancer that had extended up into her uh, middle cranial fossa, um, and it's not curable. And she'll end up dying from this, you know, this tumor. And this family's already lost another child. And those are the real issues. I mean, th- those are people who have actual real problems. Stuff, stuff. I have I have a surgical partner right now that is you know is battling cancer. He has real problems. And so it's funny the the amount of stress and anxiety we each cause in our life based on some news story of whatever news outlet. I mean, we. I mean, I do it myself. I'll read. You know, I'll click on my favorite news outlet and I'll see some story. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe they did that. Or, I can't believe that happened. Or and I'll get fired up for something that I have zero control over that doesn't affects me in you know in the immediate future or you know the immediate future mm-hmm. and um but there are people out there who have real shit going on but we're too busy at least i'm too busy sometimes fired up about stuff i can't control to to pause to help the people that i could help if i wasn't so fired up about stuff that i have any control over so the whole point of us being on this planet is to be of service 
to other people. Yeah. So I think that gets forgotten quite often. Like you are here solely to be of service to your fellow human beings. So when you get in like this rut of like everything is basically they call it like taking the black pill where everything is doom and gloom. There's no hope. Every fuck everybody. I hate everything. And it's like, if you would just turn that off for a second and be like, when's the last time I did something decent for another person besides myself? When's the last time I had like a selfless thought and yeah. you'd be surprised how often it's like, oh, you're a narcissist. <laughs> like no, People are out here selfish, self-absorbed pricks, basically. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like, I mean, it's funny because like, you know, I, there's a lot of guys I like to listen to and girls like to listen to podcasts and things like that. And, um, and most of, I try to listen to a pretty broad range of podcasts. Some podcasts I listen to. I don't actually agree with a lot of what they say, but it kind of challenges my beliefs and it gives me the perspective from somebody else. Because, I mean, most normal people, like, you think and believe what you think and believe because that's kind of the culture that you're around. I mean, most, I mean, so it's nice to kind of hear other people's perspectives and stuff. But, um, and then some people I listen to because they make me feel really stupid. So one of those um, guys is Jordan Peterson. Um, Jordan Peterson is American um, psychologist and, um, he's very, very broad array of opinions on things. Some things I agree with him on, some things I don't agree with him on. Um, some things I just, honestly, God can't understand what he's saying. So I'd have no clue if I agreed or don't agree because I'm not smart enough to understand. But, but this whole concept, and I loved it when I decided to look this up, trust me, when I first heard of it, about existentialism, like just about the meaning of life and like our purpose as human beings. And it, but, you know, most of us, we're going to have to assign what we give value to in life and and it really is true like you know most of our greatest battles um are won and lost in the mind like i mean most of our biggest challenges our lives are played out in the six inches between our ears i mean in our mind so what we give value to and the, the type of life that we choose to live is completely up to us i mean that's why you i mean i have patients who come in that have been married you know 50 years and they've struggled financially for all 50 years they come in and their maybe their health and fitness isn't you know very good based on most people's standards. Maybe they don't dress as nice, but they're the happiest people and they, they have such a great love for each other. Um, and you're like, how oh, they're just I mean they're they're always broke. They I mean they can't even you know afford to like get the most basic of things done because they just don't have the financial resources. But they're happy. I have other people come in that you know they've been married forty years and, and they they look like they stepped out of a GQ magazine and they've got the BMW and the nice cars. And I hear the way that the husband and wife talk to each other. And you can just, you can sense that bitterness and resentment towards each other. Um, and somewhere along the, the way for each, you know, all those people, those couples, you decide what kind of life and what kind of relationships you have and, and what kind of things you're willing to tolerate. And so, you know, I said for me in this stage of my life, my, you know, your forties, you definitely go through a, uh, what Bob Buford would call the halftime of life, where you just you start reexamining where you're at in life. You know, you've you've lived for all practical purposes out the first half of your life, and you know what do you want the second half to look like? You know, um, and most of us chase the first half of our life. We, we chase success. You know, we want to make you know we want to make money. We want to be able to buy the things. We want to be able to, you know send our kids to college and go on vacations. 
But there is a shift. What kind of significance do I want to have in life? I mean, what do I want? Do I want to be 80 years old and just have more and more stuff? Or do I want to be like 80 years old and know, look back and say, man, I really, I impacted other people's life and, and made the world just a little bit better because, you know, I put some effort in. And I'm, and I'm telling you more so now than, than ever before, like it doesn't take much to, to impact people's lives. I mean, I can think back, I have this little list of, I call it the men that matter in my life. I mean, I grew up very poor um, in a kind of a bad situation. And I had these men that strategically came along in my life that, that, said the right word or put just enough interest in me at the right season of my life that propelled me to the next stage that, and I would never be, you know, an oral maxillofacial surgeon had it not been for these men, but it's because these men um, took the time to invest in somebody else. And it, I said, it doesn't take, it's just a kind word here and there. Um, I mean, you, we've all heard the, the stories and the TikToks and the memes about, you know, someone who was on the, the verge of suicide and then someone, gives them a kind word. It's just, just enough of a kind word to give them hope for one more day. And then maybe someone else gave another kind word. Now they get, they have a little momentum in life and uh, what was going to end tragic death too early, you know, begins the the beginning of a new success story of somebody whose life turned around. So, um, you know, when I was in, you know, school, seventh grade, I, I had a friend of mine whose dad was a physician. And I remember he took us to an OU football game he took us in his red Corvette, which is the first time I'd ever been in a fancy car like that. And, and um, we get to the football game and um, he's just saying, just the nicest guy asked me questions. And, you know, I grew up at that time. Now I have a great relationship with my parents now, but at that time I didn't. And, you know, my dad didn't say 50 words to me as a kid. And this guy's, you know, dad's talking to me left and right, asking me about what I want to do in the future. And, all about my family and everything. And, but when we get to the game and um, he reaches down and he hands me a $20 bill and he reaches over and hands my buddy a, a $20 bill. And I was like, what's, what's this for? And it was dad. He, his dad was going to sit with some buddies someplace else. And this friend of mine, we were sitting in the, the North end zone together. And I asked him, I said, what's this for? And he said, well, that's just for snacks. I mean, if you want to get something to eat or drink, we have, you know, go buy something. I was like, 20 bucks? I'd never seen 20 bucks in my hand ever before. I mean, that was like, so we actually, I mean, we went to the game, had a great time, obviously. Uh, but when we, my buddy would go to get food, I wouldn't buy any food because there, there was no way I was spending 20 I had 20 bucks. Like, I'm not getting rid of this thing. So I would actually go around to the garbage cans and people would set stuff on top of the garbage can. I would just pick some food off there or I'd eat what he didn't eat. But there was zero chance I was spending that 20 bucks. And I bet you that 20 bucks lasted me for years. I mean, I, you know, I finally, I remember that when yeah. I finally broke the 20 bucks, I mean, I just, you know, it was like this piece of gold. But I remember like, just like his dad's words of encouragement that day. Um, I also remember his dad had a watch on that day. And I can remember he, he handed me that 20 bucks. And I remember his, that watch being on his wrist. And um, years later, I, I saw a picture of his dad. His dad was a physician and his dad would, had taken this picture that was in a, a newspaper um, advertisement with his partners and he has arms crossed and uh, he had that watch on. And I remember thinking, I kept that picture for probably 15 years. Um, and I said, I'm going to own a watch like that someday. I had no clue what kind of a watch it was um, at the time. Um, then as I got older, I figured out what type of watch it was. And I thought, I'm going to own that watch someday. And so uh, about eight years ago, I happened to be at the jewelry store and uh, I'm walking by the, the jewelry case and I see that watch. And I was like, I want that watch. I didn't ask him what it cost. I didn't care what it cost, but that watch meant so much, but it meant so much because 
the words that guy spoke to me that day and the fact that, you know, he, he saw value in me and he didn't give me 20 bucks. And that certainly meant a lot too, but it was mostly that he was took such an interest. And so, yeah, I think if most of us would, would invest in others, I mean, that guy's, I mean, that kept me so motivated for, for years to be, to be a doctor. I'm like, I want to be a doctor. Like this guy was able to give his kid 20 bucks and his son's buddy. And I was used to my, you know, having OGE cutoff notices and like, not having water and like moving from house to house. And like, this guy's giving 20 bucks out. Like, I mean, I never even touched 20 bucks before. So um, yeah, we all have a unique opportunity. And the, the problem is this is what sucks. This is, and this is the harsh reality. Cause I have enough patients who have, you know, terminal cancers. Um, they get to, you know, what we don't realize is that it, you're so right. That's what life's all about is helping other people. That's the joy of life. But most of us are so busy doing shit. That's not important just running around. I mean, most of us spend our time running our kids around to, to soccer and volleyball and football events. Like they're going to play in the freaking Olympics and be the next LeBron James. I mean, (laughs) most of our kids, they're not playing professional sports. I mean, when our, and those things are great. I'm not saying I do with my kids too, but how much more powerful would it be if, you know, you took a Saturday to take your kids downtown Oklahoma city or wherever downtown, wherever people listen to that to help out, you know, homeless people or get, get plugged into a, uh, an organization that helps out, you know, the, the underserved or the, the needy and things like that. I mean, that's going to make way more of an impact. Um, I mean, I spent, I've done lots of mission trips over the years. Um, and I did them because I got so much more out of them than I ever gave to those people. I mean, I, I remember going to Lima, Peru and uh, Mira Flores and those places and doing surgery and I was doing it. It's kind of like that that uh, episode of Friends where Phoebe tells Rachel, "There's no such thing as a a selfless uh, good deed because you get so much satisfaction of it." And I think she's right. Like, I mean, I've never done something nice for somebody else and felt like it was as much about them as it was me. I, it makes me feel so good to do those things. Um, I do a lot of you know free surgery, and that's certainly not to toot my horn. It's because I like how it makes me feel. And sometimes most patients are generally you know grateful, but but some patients aren't. I've had patients who. I'm not even charging with their surgery and they still bitch and complain about something. Oh my and God. T- yeah. But, Those but are the narcissists. Yeah. That's like, like ah, I can't even get grabbed, but, it, but it's still worth it because it, it makes me feel so good, you know, to be able to help them. Um, because we all have like a skill or something about our personality or we, or better yet, some way we've screwed up in the past that allows us to now connect with another human being that somebody else wouldn't. I mean, the the best thing you can be is in your forties with a whole bunch of screw ups because then you can you can relate with so many people. Because like I can I give grace out like freaking crazy because I've required so much forgiveness in my life. Because I mean I have I have screwed up I mean in ways that no human being should ever be able to screw up. I mean I've I've been through seasons of life and made more mistakes in a year than most individuals would make in 10 lifetimes. And so, but the beauty of that is it gives you a lot of, I mean, I see people doing stupid shit all the time. I'm like, I get it. I see people with addiction problems and and things that are kicking their ass that they can't beat. I'm like, I get it. I mean, I, I treat prisoners and these young men um, and women come in. And sometimes I can tell that, you know, they're used to being kind of treated like, you know, just second-class citizens and stuff. Like I totally get it. I mean, I think about dumb shit I've done over my lifetime that could have ended me up in prison. I mean, I think most of us would, not most, that's, that's not fair. I think a lot of us could say, you know what? I've been out someplace for dinner and had a few drinks. And if I'd have got pulled over, 
maybe I passed that breathalyzer test. Maybe I didn't. That could have ended up in a DUI. I could end up being in jail. I'm like, how would that, how would that have changed your life? Um, or if that did happen, like, and you're able to get out of it, well, what if you couldn't get out of it? What if you couldn't afford to get out of it? Or if you were, what if you didn't have certain, you know, just kind of built in things about you that got you out of it? So yeah, I think, uh, I think spending more time helping others and spending less time bitching about things we can't control. And that's what's really funny about sometimes with politics. We, we spend all this energy and time bitching about politics and think, well, yeah, I mean, you can vote. That's what you can do. Or you can run for office and stuff. Um, right. I can't remember. It's they- funny because I just had on he's he's in my family but he's the mayor of his city. And he was pretty much saying a lot of the same things that you're saying like people spend so much time worried about crap that doesn't matter and I was like and it's like just maybe unplug from the matrix for a little bit and like do something of service to other people spend time with your friends spend time with your kids and just focus on like something more positive yeah that's exactly it's basically too like it's crazy how much of our life gets wasted um i was driving yesterday um so i left yesterday from my house went to my office which is you know fairly close to my where i live and then left from my office and went to lunch Went back to my office after lunch. Um, after I left the office, I drove to the, my gym. And then I left my gym and I drove to go see a volleyball game. And then I drove back to my house. And I looked down in, on my little trip meter. It told me you know, how far I had been in my car for almost three hours yesterday. Well, literally moments after I got back to my house, my iPhone now has this annoying thing that it does will top it'll pop up and tell you your average screen time from the previous week which is just i mean shit that's like i mean i don't need that as an adult okay that's stuff like do my kids i don't need that but i looked at my screen time and i'm embarrassed to even say it like I'm, but it, like my average screen time was like three and a half hours a day um now i don't know what all that's included you know part of that's when i go to the gym i might watch a little bit of netflix while i'm you know running on the treadmill or whatever but i'm still looking at this rectangular thing for three and a half hours half you know on a, on a day um plus me driving in my car for three hours that's six and a half hours of my day that was spent there and then i think about well how much time did i spend talking to my kids yesterday or my parents yesterday or to like another human well it wasn't six and a half hours i can promise you that so we you know our society just the the, the way life is um, if we don't, if we're not actively choosing to participate in the control of it, man, it'll take over. Next thing you know, you're just another cog in this wheel that just, that just keeps turning. And you're, you're really not in control of your life as much as you think. I mean, um, there are actually people, I know this is going to be crazy. There are actually people, and I know one of these people who just have a regular phone. They have a flip phone. Like it doesn't have internet service on it whatsoever. They can text like the old school text where you got to push one, like for, for C, you got to push one three times. They did ABC. That's how you get up. I mean, did they get people, this thing at the antique market? Oh my gosh. Like, they actually will sell it. Like, you have to get one of these, like these cell phone repair places. And these people will say, you'll, you'll, okay, like around the corner, like behind this like dirty area, like where there's, oh, it's like a drug deal to get oh, yeah, an old like, flip phone like that. It's like, yeah, hey, slip me 50 bucks and I'll give you the flip phone. Oh my gosh. I it was once. I, whenever I, I've seen people out in public and they, they have these flip phones, I'm like, he's either a drug dealer or he's having an affair on a spouse because there's no other 
and I have that flip. That's a burner phone if I ever saw a burner phone there. Right yeah. there. there are people who actually survive on these things and they could give one rat's ass about, you know, flipping through TikTok. Like TikTok, if you have ADD, TikTok is the best thing ever. Like, you know, you get a few like next, next and stuff. But I mean, there's all kinds of research out there that, that shows the effects of our, our scrolling pattern, whether it be TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. It's not good for us, but we, we still do it. And I'm not advocating people don't use those things, but I think those things do have to be regulated. Otherwise, man, it's really easy just to kind of go through life and look back and say, huh, that's, I spent more time. Well, what I feel like will happen if something doesn't change is, I don't know if you saw the movie Ready Player One. No, is that how but- good? Yeah, so it's basically like, maybe I think it's like the year 2070 or something, like way in the future. And you basically just live in like trailer parks that are, the trailers are like stacked on top of each other. They call them like, I forget what they're like the pile or something. And then you yeah. just, you get home, you put your headset on and you're like in this virtual reality and you spend every waking moment in this virtual reality you have money you spend there you can go to the club there you buy things there and it's like they basically the movie is how they decided it wasn't good to let people have access to that all the time because they'll be consumed by it so you have to regulate it to where it's like you can be in the oasis five hours a day that's it and you're maxed out you know And that I really feel like that's where our society is going. It's like this oasis where we live in the stacks and like we just put our headset on and you get virtual surgery or whatever. Like that's extreme, but. Well, it's me because I have, you know, my youngest son, um, I mean, he's 13 and he, he has an Oculus, he has an Xbox, he's got YouTube. I mean, all the shit that most, you know, a lot, not most, but a lot of people have, and he spends a you know, ton of time on that. Like, but he's, he doesn't understand, like, to go outside and play and just be creative um, is just not in his toolbox now, which is crazy. Because months ago, and, and I'd love to tell story, my son came out to me, and he was like, Dad, he goes, I know you've got book smarts and everything, but I got street smarts. I'm like, street smarts? I'm like, you're a white kid from Edmond, Oklahoma, who spends most of his day on, like, an Oculus and an Xbox. You oh do not God. have I'm like, I mean... He, it's a funny story. So years ago, several years ago, my youngest son has idiopathic juvenile arthritis. So um, obviously not an ideal thing to have when you're, you know, a 12 year old, 13 year old kid um, to already have, you know, juvenile arthritis. And he takes um, what's called methotrexate, takes an injection every week, which methotrexate is a type of chemotherapeutic drug. And so he takes the injection on a Saturday, always makes him sick and, but he's got to take it because we, we've got to you know, limit the amount of damage. Um, so he, several years ago, he, he was in school and he was asked to write a paper over the, you know, the, the biggest challenge that he's had to face in life. So clearly he's going to write about the fact he has idiopathic juvenile arthritis, which is not a great thing to have. No. What, so my son's teacher calls us up. And what my son decided to write a paper about was the one time during Thanksgiving we went to Coronado Island outside of San Diego and we rented a house and we got off the airplane. We got to this house that we had rented. Um, the Wi-Fi was down for the first day we was there and he had, he wrote a paper, an entire paper 
over how <laughs> difficult that was that for an entire day, because he had to get up super early that morning and I wouldn't give him his phone at the airport, that he had to spend almost a 24-hour period without being able to get on Wi-Fi and check into any of his uh, little social media accounts or play his games. Oh, boy. So I was like, where have we failed as parents? Now, we did. Uh, it's funny, with parenting, my oldest son, he's a sophomore at Baylor and just the easiest kid of all time. Like, he's just, he was the superstar football player, the superstar soccer player. He made great grades. He's pre-med. He's great. I mean, we... I mean, we protected him. I had him doing, we, uh, my wife time, we had him doing residency. And I remember we were at, um, like Outback Steakhouse one time. We must have been for like a big occasion because we were dirt poor in residency. Uh, must have been like an anniversary or, a, you know, a Valentine's Day. And, um, he was a baby at the time and he was sitting on my lap and they had like, you know, they had the bread and they had the butter and they had like those butter knives, like the real short butter knives that are round at the end. Well, he went and he grabbed it and picked it up. And, and I, you know, his mom and I at the time, we, we acted like he had picked up you know, plutonium or something. Like, no, you can't have that. Oh my gosh. Take it forever. I'm like, and I called him. I'm like, you, you can't just put these butter knives on the table. And the manager's like, sir, it's just a, it's just a butter knife. Like, my son, God, he could have put his eye out. And the guy's like, how? It's like a round, like you could like this thing. Was- <laughs> well, like there had a couple of years ago, my youngest son, uh, I was um, still married at the time. I was sitting in the front room at the house and my youngest son was walking through the backyard and he had this machete and his mom looked over at me and said, Hey, should, you know, Pearson's got a machete. I'm like, yeah. And we both started watching Netflix again. Like, like, yeah. So by the time you get to your third kid, like, you know, they're, your first kid's going to survive, right? But your third kid, I really should write him an apology letter and say, you know what? I mean, he was touch and go. Like, it was more like my childhood. You, 18 was not a given for my youngest son. Like, I mean, he's still not there yet. He's only 13. But, I mean, he definitely gets more freedom and um, allowed to experiment more. We're like, oh, he's... He's repelling off the house. Ah, yeah. You should teach him some good mountaineering skills. Like, you know, like, was yeah, kid, yeah. you know, he would be wrapped in a bubble wrap when he was a child, my oldest son. Like, he couldn't do anything. So um, I'm not even sure what the hell that point of that story was. But, yeah, kids are different nowadays. And but I now think my, that now, was the whole point is, like, kids it, nowadays it, are, like, aliens or something. Uh, well, the problem is, like, too, with, the, with my boys, because they spend so much time indoors doing stuff. They, they missed all the opportunities. Like when I was a kid to go wander around the neighborhood and just do stupid stuff and get themselves in trouble and then try to find their way out of trouble. I mean, my mom used to lock us out of the house. She's like, be gone, show back up when it's dark. And I'm like, it's eight, eight in the morning. Like, like, and you had to fend for yourself all day long. Like you find some friend whose mom actually bought snacks and had food. And most of us always had that, that one friend whose mom would actually enjoy kids being around. She'd make you some lunch. And you're like, that's the best mom. Right? Like, cause my mom was like, you guys go find your own food. Just go leave. I'm like, well, like, where am I going to find food? She's like, you'll find food. Just go. But you know, we, I loved like cruising around on my bike all day long. Um, you know, just getting, doing stupid shit. I remember this one time it was, um, my parents worked. And so it was during the summertime and I was young and uh, I found a couple of dollars in our house someplace, which when I say found, that's that's like a really shitty way of saying I stole two dollars <laughs> probably from my older brother. Maybe maybe from a parent. I may have like rummaged through a, a, you know their purse or something. But probably my brother. I, I don't think I was brave enough to steal from my mom or dad. But um, so I walked about two miles from my house um, down to the, a Seven Eleven, 
And when I was growing up, we never had pop ever. We just water and like, and no way. I mean, bottled water. If you would have told my dad when I was a kid that someday people would spend two and three, four, five dollars for bottled water, he would have laughed. At I mean, that would have been a ridiculous. No one was paying for bottled water. You just drink out of your your water hose out of the you know in the yard, or you just drink from the faucet. But no one was drinking bottled water back then. But I remember I found this two bucks. They're stolen. And let's just let's just go with found. But um, I found this two bucks. Um, and so I remember I was walking down to Seven Eleven. I had this pair of white shorts on. In this T-shirt that barely covered my little belly, so like part of my belly's like sticking out of the bottom of the shirt. I'm walking down the Seven Eleven. I get there, and I decide I'm going to buy a two-liter bottle of Shasta, this grape Shasta. I'd never had grape Shasta before, but I, you know, I've seen grape Shasta, and I was like, I'm going to get some grape Shasta. I got two bucks here, so I pay for this thing, whatever it costs, under two dollars apparently, and I get this two-liter bottle of grape Shasta. And it's hot. It's hot as hell outside. I mean, um, but I'm walking back home and I literally within a quarter of a mile of that 7-Eleven, I had drank the entire two liter bottle of Shasta. That's two liters of grape Shasta. And and all of a sudden I heard a bloop. And I was like, what was that? And I was like, bloop. And it was my stomach. And all of a sudden I sharted out grape Shasta in a pair of white shorts and it looked like a scene from the exorcist, like where her head's spinning and she's projectile vomiting. I was doing that with great Shasta out of my butt, but into a pair of white shorts that were too small. And I just remember as that was going on, I couldn't stop it. I literally could not. I mean, I was squeezing my butt cheeks together, like as hard as a human being could be. I was, and it would not stop the flow of grape shasta out. It just run down my legs. And I remember this old man stopped his car. He saw this happening. That's how explosive this man stopped his car and says, Can I help you? And I'm like, with what? Like, like what are you gonna do at this point? Like, I mean, I've already done the deed. There's shasta everywhere. Like, what are you gonna help do? What could you possibly do at this moment to make this situation better? I'm like, no. Are you going to kidnap me with that? I mean, that's about the only thing that's going to make this better is you could kidnap me and give me some clean clothes. But unless you're going to kidnap me and give me clean clothes, just keep driving. So I walked home the next mile and a half to my house. Of course, I was a fat chubby kid. So my thighs are like, you know, they're wet. They're just, I mean, it's like sandpaper just rubbing up against each other. I mean, I'm like, I've got my legs. It's like I have, you know, corn cob up my butt, but it's not, it looks like a purple corn cob that was on my butt because there's shafts everywhere. My socks are soaked. My shoes are soaked. I get home, and so that was just the beginning of the torture because not only did I have this two-mile walk of shame with great Shasta all over my butt, my shoes, my socks, I then got home. My mom found out that I had got grape soda all over my clothes, so I got beat with a plastic yellow bat by my mom for doing that. And then she found out I had taken $2 from my brother or her, potentially. I can't remember who it was I stole from. I got beat from that. And then my dad, which is the the beauty of this whole thing, he was a truck driver. He was gone. I remember that night my mom said, Hey, this is what happened to Tracy. When you get home, I need you to I need you to beat him. I'm like, What? That's aggressive. Well, my dad would be gone for weeks on end because he was a cross country truck driver. And so a couple of weeks passed, my dad finally comes home and I'm like, Oh, dad's home. Yay, great. So my dad's like, we all run up to him, like hugging him. And we're trying to be in a good mood because 
you know, it was always iffy if my dad was in a good mood or not. And he was like, all right, son, go get the belt. I'm like, for what? He's like, mama wants me to bust you. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? He's like, for the Shasta thing from a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, but I thought we were good. Like, he's like, go get the belt. So my dad could go from like happy to see us to beating you like, like that. Like it was, it didn't yeah. know me. I need to work into an anger to be mean to my children. Not my dad. He could go from being happy with you, beat the shit out of you and then be happy with you all again. And like, I don't know what's the problem. I mean, I just beat you for about 15 minutes, but what's the problem? Aren't you happy? I'm like, you just beat me. I got my back, you know, my back's bruised up and red here. He's like, yeah, you'll be good. It'll be fine. It makes you a man. So anyways, that, that was childhood life for Trace McIntyre. So. Oh my, my kids, they, my kids think they have life tough. They do not have life tough. So, oh my god! But so okay, this is going to be the cheesiest segue ever. But you said you were sharding grape shasta like the girl in The Exorcist. So now I have to ask you the honorary question, which is, Doctor, what is your favorite scary movie? Ooh, favorites here. Oh, that's a great question. Well, I mean, I, I mean, well, two things. Okay. So The Exorcist is probably actually my favorite scary movie because I remember watching that early on. I was like, that was like, I grew up in the church and like, I never really watched stuff like that. So that was when I saw that one time, I was like, oh my God. But they actually, you know what? Even scarier than that. I remember I was at the, there used to be a skating rink in Yukon. Hell, it might, it may still be there. I actually think it's still there. Yukon on wheels. I mean, very, very old. I remember being there as a kid. And this is when Michael Jackson was just, I mean, at its peak and Thriller had just came out. And I remember there one night, I was there for a skate night and they were going to play Thriller, like the video on like a big screen there. And I was like, I'm going to watch it. I mean, I got my. I got myself psyched up for it. And I watched the, the, the video, the music video thriller, dude, I didn't sleep for weeks. I mean, I was, I mean, it, Oh, I was such a baby kid. I mean, I was such a pansy, but dude, I was so, I mean, that was so scary to me. I was like, and which is embarrassing. I mean, like shit, my kids see worse things than that on TV every day. But back then that was like, I mean, I just didn't see stuff like that. I mean, thriller was like a big, be like the most creative answer I've ever gotten. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's probably the most, it's probably this was so sad. Like that was really what it scared you. I mean, I was, no, it was creepy. I mean, but yeah, I remember Thriller, shit, when Michael Jackson, when he started turning into that little werewolf thing, I was like, what's going on? And like the zombie thing, I was like, and everyone else is like kind of out there dancing, doing that, like the, that Thriller dance. And I'm it, that actually scared me too. I was like, oh my God, like, it's like, what's going on here? Like, yeah, it was, that was horrifying. But the exorcist, I remember seeing that at a, a sleepover one time. Whew, that was not good either. I was like, oh, it was because it, it felt so dark and evil. I'm like, not only was it scary, but it was like dark and evil like type stuff. But it has I like its people. own ambiance. That whole yeah. movie has like like a feeling. Yes, it was very dark and stuff. But I mean, the I became one of these people, and these are terribly annoying people. But just know for everyone listening, like we only do this because we're so scared. But I became one of those annoying people that when I did watch a scary movie. I would make fun of how stupid they were behaving in the scary movie as a protective mechanism to like keep me from being scared. I'm like, okay, that's a good idea. Walk by that door because there's probably going to be a boom. Like, like, it was like, <laughs> you, I was like that person, like nonstop. And everybody was like, shut up, dude, quit talking. I'm like, okay, just here, yeah, go, 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 yeah, get the car. There's not going to be. So I was that person. I'm still that person now. You don't want to see a scary movie. I'll just annoy you on a lot of levels. I mean, the being oh, a scary oh, movie. Oh, that is my husband. 
exactly he'll be like yeah right because that white bitch is going to do something like that that's so stupid <laughs> I'm like, like okay yeah. just stop yeah, yeah like it's, it's funny because like i become like it's funny you said about your um your husband saying about like the one because i become very white racist during movies i'm like why do they always make white people look so stupid in these movies like we're like the <laughs> dumbest humans ever in these movies, like, what is wrong with white people? They're so, they're, we're not the stupid and, like, we're, we're, maybe we are the stupid. Yeah, I'm the same way, too. I'm like, white women in, in thriller movies, I mean, I'm be honest, does not look good for white women. Like, it's not shine well. Never. It's like, <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis, why are you doing this? You know he's going oh. to get you. Yeah, and at some point, you, I start rooting for the bad guy. That's the problem. I'm like, <laughs> you know, at this point, I'm so pissed off at the stupid decisions you're all making. I hope you do die. I hope he does skin you and wear you as a lampshade or like a coat or something like that. I mean, I hope he does do those things for you. So, yeah. Now, oh Sons of, I, I wasn't really scared in Sons of the Lamb, but I loved Sons of the Lamb because it was like a, like looking into the, the mind of, of a sociopath and you're like, oh, that's interesting. Like, and, but it's, it's funny. Like, I mean, like, I mean, the scene where like the girls in like, the the pit and you know the guy's like it puts the lotion on the i mean i love that like it's like that human being is so distraught um but then i'm also i can i can also flip too because i think yeah there's really people who are really hurting like mental like mental illness is like that's what's so tough nowadays like mental illness has always been a huge deal and a big deal but i think most of us recognize it and talk about it more now and i, I feel worse about and i should have felt worse for them like it's like you don't want to make fun because like i get some people struggle with some shit that it's a battle inside their mind that they they can't like get it under control, and I think that's what's scary about these movies. Like it's like these movies like show like take these deep thoughts and these terrible things and they put them in front of us. And I think what makes them scary is sometimes you can relate to that shit. You're like, ooh, Tracy, I mean, how true is that? Yeah, I mean now. I've never put anybody at the bottom of a pit and asked them to put lotion on their skin or something like that. But, I mean, but <laughs> yeah, me neither. I mean, I also, I mean, I date a girl and sometimes I feel like, like this is such so soft skin. I mean, maybe this would make a nice blanket. I mean, no, no, I don't date that. But, <laughs> but I mean, I think we see, like, I think we see stuff more like these, 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 you know, especially these psychedelic or not psychedelic, but like, like these, you know, psycho thrillers where like, I kind of, I kind of see how people could go crazy like that. I mean, like, I see. I mean, I can, I can relate when things get dark. I mean, I've been in some dark spots in my, my life where you're like, I hope I can get out of this, like, type of stuff. And, you, and unfortunately, I was able to, but I mean, but a lot of people don't. They need, I mean, they need help. And, and those are very real things. And I think these movies, like, they plug into, like, that deep part of this. I mean, like, I remember watching, um, now this is, like I said, like, someday, like, this will be, like, used as, like, a, you know, exhibit A against Dr. McIntyre. Exhibit <laughs> A! podcast from 2022 no like you know like you watch you watch dexter like and he, he talks about one of the things in dexter is he talks about this dark passenger inside of me yes. and you're like shit i kind of get it. like i mean and then you start kind of like getting like well these are bad people they should quit doing bad things to other you know other people don't do you don't hurt other people type stuff you're like you kind of start rooting for dexter and you're like i probably shouldn't root for dexter like dexter is a serial murder probably shouldn't root for, i mean shouldn't be rooting for serial murders but um but you know, it's, uh... I just did a podcast with a bunch of girls, and we were talking about the show You. Oh and yeah, great. I started talking about Dexter, and I said, "Why is it 
that I had the biggest crush on Dexter. And oh, it's like, oh, he's all, then, then you start making excuses for him. Like, oh, he only murders bad people. Yes. <laughs> like I you try agree. to like justify like. Oh, let's start with, okay, let's start with you for a second. That, that's a great show. I mean, uh, because it's funny because like, I mean, first of all, hey, I'm just going to throw this down. Hey, in, in under no circumstance should any man, and I'm speaking from a man's standpoint, obviously, ever hurt, injure a woman, child, or another man for that matter. But but you, though, you're like, when is it like, okay, is it stalking? Or is it like just being like very sweet and like, you know, like, oh, he's being, he's super, he's pursuing her heavy. Now, the part where he like chops people up and kills them, yeah, that's obviously went too far. But um, but up until that point, you're like, no, he's just, he's, I mean, yeah, he's spying on her, but maybe he's, in the right context, maybe that's sweet. But then you start thinking, no, no, it's not sweet, such stuff. Um, which is funny because when you're, you know, you you start listening when you get in your when you're divorced, you get into your forties, you start, you know, you've been out of the, the game for a while, you start listening to these these dating guys just a little bit there, like how should I act around a new girl, like what are the things you say? And they're very clear. Um, if anything you're doing seems like it could be on an episode of you. Then you shouldn't do those things. Like, oh like that's that's a good baseline start right there. Like if if they could make a movie out of the stuff you're doing that wouldn't just seem kind of vanilla and boring, you shouldn't probably do those type of things. So um, yeah, that's yeah. so crazy. That's the dating advice now. It's like don't be oh, Joe from you. <laughs> oh yeah, don't don't be Joe from you and doing super stuff like that. So another great movie, which is not a thriller, is called Imposters. Um, oh, I've never seen it. Yeah, it's on Netflix as well. I think it's um, got two or three seasons. But uh, this girl, she goes around acting like um, somebody's wife, and she'll get them to marry her. And then she, you know, robs them and their bank accounts and everything. Then she leaves them and moves on to the next fund. But it's, um, that, that's a great that's a great show as well uh, for anybody out there. I'm trying to think. What, what, what are your Netflix? This is kind of we're totally off ADD here. But what's like a Netflix series that you love? I mean, are you well, a game Bridgerton? Of Bridgerton. Yeah, mm-hmm. just made me feel bad about myself. Well, I mean, there was just a bunch of really good-looking guys who were super proper, and they're all dukes and princes and, like, thigh counts. And, of course, like, that's a girly show. But apart from that, I was watching, like, there's a new show that just came out called Sandman, and it's all twisted okay. and demented, and it's dark and creepy, and I got really into that. And I was like trying to decode it, you know, how I do with my conspiracy brain. And I'm like decoding the show. Um, But yeah, no, what are you, what have you been watching? Um, Let's see. So that's a great, I watch a lot of like, okay, first of all, movie wise, The Wrong Missy, which is a a movie on Netflix. I didn't watch that one. Is it good? Fantastic. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. I I love it. Um, Here's the problem with like Game of Thrones and Bridgerton. This is, really sharing way more information than anybody I promise you wants to know but so I never I've never really seen Game of Thrones or, or Bridgerton and but everyone said hey definitely got to watch them like in all my like my nursing staff like you got to watch them it's like they're man they're these things are so hot and heavy and you're like oh okay so you, know, you watch a couple of episodes and, and like it made me feel bad about myself because like the scenes that like it doesn't and I'm just saying I think it, I wanted to or it should but like these it would play 
And like, okay, a guy and a girl would be kissing, stuff like that. And you could tell like they were, you know, going to a room to, you know, do other things, stuff like that. And I was in the impression, I'm like, these are going to be really these hot and steamy, like sex scenes and stuff like that. Well, then they were, I mean, they were definitely, you know, insinuating all these things, mm-hmm. but, but you're like, well, those, I, I, I don't know what I was thinking it was going to be like, like it was going to be like some like, you know, NC double seven, you know, whatever rated show. But I'm like, I'm like, yeah. like, it wasn't bad for it. It wasn't like, you know, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, you're watching, you know, something off of like, you know, um, an X rated porn site. Right. Or yeah. No. Um, and then you start feeling bad. You're like, well, I mean, it was, I wasn't expecting it to be like that, but I was like, that's what everyone made it out to be. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, let me just, yeah, I mean, it's got some love scenes here and there, but it's not like it's a, you're not watching like porn, like, you know, for, for an hour. So trust me. I, I've I, seen I, worse. I think yeah, Fifty like, Shades of Grey was like borderline, like we're getting pretty close there. Oh yeah. I mean, I just, I just had a couple, like a couple weeks ago, I had my boys, my teenagers boys. And I'm like, let's do something different than just, you know, going to get a pizza or going to a movie. Let's do something. So I thought I'm going to go to, I'll take them down to the civic center and we'll watch, you know, watch one of these Broadway plays, whatever. So I look up now, honest to God, I was thinking in my head, Julia Roberts and uh, was it Hugh Grant, Notting Hill, the movie or the show. Um, so I was thinking, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be, it's that one where like he works at a library place or a bookstore. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. But it was pretty woman. So, okay. I thought you yeah. were going to say pretty woman. Yeah. It was Julia Roberts. So we get there and I'm like, oh shit. Like this is, this is, Julia, I, this is the one with like Richard Gere and like Julia Roberts is a prostitute and like he gets her and I'm like, I'm looking over at my 16 and 13 year old son. I'm like, oh God, like I've just brought my kids to this thing. Like here, I'm like, I'm like, surely you shouldn't be that bad. So I go in there, I sit down. And so my youngest son's next to me and my other son's there. And of course they're, they kind of like going to musicals, but they'd really go see a movie or just get a pizza or play on the Xbox, whatever. So I'm sitting there and I'm talking to this, there's an older lady sitting next to me and she's like, she's like, are those your kids? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, this is kind of an interesting choice. I'm like, yeah, I kind of, I kind of got like the wrong Julia Roberts in my head. I just, I was thinking Notting Hill and, and yeah. this is not like that. So, I mean, for, so a few minutes into it, of course, um, you know, it's very clear that she's a prostitute. And uh, then there's a scene where, you know, obviously it's, you know, it's a civic center, so they're not going to show anything too graphic, but there's a scene where obviously Richard, the guy who's playing Richard Guerin in, in this uh, musical and, and the person playing Jay Roberts are kind of getting hot and heavy. And my youngest son just turns at me and glares at me. Now, mind you, my youngest son goes to a Christian school. Um, oh, God. He, he goes, what kind of dad brings his kids to this? And I was like, <laughs> a, like two seconds later, the lady, the older lady next to me leans over and says, well, you're not going to get the father of the year award, are you? And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, like, my was, God, Tracy. I made a mistake. I mean, it's not like they're watching, like, you know, pornographic TV or it's like, you know, it's art. Okay, it's art. What happened to the art aspect of this thing here? So, yeah, my youngest son gave me crap the entire time. Now, my 16-year-old, he enjoyed every moment of that. He says, like, oh, that was a fantastic show. I'm like, I'm sure you did enjoy that, son. But, yeah, I mean, I walked. I definitely had the walk of shame leaving that place. I mean, my head was down. I'm like, yeah. I'm that dad who just brought, I mean, it was very clear, especially once I became aware of it. I'm like, 
there's not any other 13 year old kids in here. I promise you that. So um, even 16 was a little bit young, but yeah, no, it's okay, Tracy, because if you were my dad, I think you would be super, super cool. Cause my dad, well, he was a asshole, but I never got to do anything fun with him. So just the fact that you're in your kids' lives and you're trying to do fun stuff and you're trying yes. to like make an effort says a lot. But yes, I do want to but... ask you one last thing. Yes. If anybody wanted to like reach out to you or anything, do you want to plug or do you want to stay off the grid? No, no, no. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, they go to our website, www.omaok.com. And yeah, so if people want to, um, if they have anything, obviously, um, any concerns about, uh, obviously, Ormax facial surgery, but other stuff on that, it's got my email. So if they go to the website, they'll have a place where they can contact me for um, any questions or any, like, if anybody's got any recommendations for a therapist, it sounds like I probably should see. They're like, dude, oh you need some God, therapy. Trace. They're like, you, or, or you, even I, if, I, like, I, they wanted you to come on their podcast, would you be open to something like that? Absolutely. Yeah. I, lo- I mean, this has been, a, it's been a ton of fun and I love, like I said, the, um, it's, it's kind of its own like little, uh, you know, little world, but it, it's, it's great how just to get to reach and talk to different communities about different things that, um, that maybe you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have plugged in with each other. And hopefully I said, hopefully, hopefully there's a bunch of stuff we said that people liked and hopefully there's some stuff people were like, man, totally disagree. They get some thinking like, you know, a different way. And like, Hey, this dude's, you know, totally off the chart here but um but it's good i'm so proud of you for doing this and and i'm I'm glad you have so much success and it's going so well and and like you are and we met i mean i i feel like i'm a pretty good judge of people and like we as soon as we met i was like ah i'm gonna i'm gonna love this girl she's gonna be tons of fun and we're gonna hit it off great and um and it's been just every bit as good as i thought it was gonna be from the the first you're too kind you are too kind you're super sweet i know I know lots of people think lots of great things about you, and and I'm certainly one of those. So, well, thank you so much, Tracy, for coming on, and I'll include your website so people can check that out. And um, to all my listeners, thank you so much. We'll see you on the next one. 